go with me to James chapter 1, where we'll continue this series that we are calling Faith Forward. Just very excited about what God has done through this so far. Uh, we are thinking about all of the different ways God is working in our lives. And, and I want to just remind you, if you've missed a few weeks, you can catch up. You can go to Crossroad.Live. You can find these sermons and, and listen to them. We have audio on a podcast if you're into that sort of thing, Crossroad Wichita. You can search that on any of your podcast uh, catchers, and you can find that and, and listen to these. Um, and you can listen and just imagine how much my arms are moving uh, instead of having to see that. Uh, it looks like I'm trying to fly, but there's a lot of weight to get off the ground, so it hadn't happened yet, but uh, I, I get that. So I like to listen to it instead of watch myself if I'm ever uh, analyzing one of these messages. But we have been talking about this book of James written by James, who was the brother of Jesus. And James was a passionate believer who loved the Lord, and uh, we remembered that he was actually a skeptic in the beginning. He did not know uh, the Lord as the Savior. He just knew Jesus as his eccentric, weird brother. Uh, but the resurrection changed everything, and James is radically changed, and here he is now writing this letter to the early church, and he's writing specifically to the Jewish people of the dispersion, and we said the dispersion was a group of people who, due to persecution, because of their faith, people were persecuting them, so they had to literally pick up and run for their very lives and leave really the small area where every single moment of their lives had existed and they are going all over the known world to save themselves and it's to this persecuted group of believers walking through unimaginable unimaginable hardship that James uses this absurd command consider it joy when you walk through trials of various kinds and what we've discovered is that this absurd command is not actually so absurd. Because what we discover in the text is that Paul says these trials are developing within us what the text called endurance or steadfastness, maturity. The text said you can be complete, lacking nothing. Does anybody want to get to the point where God's done working on your life? And now I know some of you say no, but actually you do want to get to that point. But that is a lifelong process, and if any of you think you're already at that point, you're dealing with an issue called pride. So let that knock you back a few blocks and realize you've got work to do. And the way that God does that work in us is through trials and hardships in our lives. It's making us who He wants us to be. It's developing a spiritual toughness, what the text ends up calling wisdom. We talked about wisdom last week, wisdom being God's understanding for living. How is it that God wants us to live our lives? That is wisdom. And God said, if you want wisdom, you can ask for it. And when we ask for it, he gives it to us generously and ungrudgingly. So when we take joy in trials, we find that that joy actually leads to wisdom, God-given understanding for living. We're not riding that roller coaster of emotions and circumstances. If you're in life, you're on that roller coaster, aren't you? One minute you're here, next minute you're here. And your spiritual life will ride that roller coaster with your circumstances and emotion of life unless you let the wisdom of God guide you. And the wisdom of God lets you enjoy the highs and the lows and you find God's blessing and wisdom in every single one of those. We know that He loves us and He cares for us. His promises are true. And that he's working all things out for our good, and we can trust and believe that today. So what's going to happen today in this text is James is going to really get to the what I would call and identify as the source of our struggle with trials. 
Why is it that we struggle in the midst of trials? And what he's going to do is really expose uh, the, the difficulty of us in running to the wrong source for help when we find ourselves in trials. And, and I want to just tell you right now, this sermon is going to hurt us a little bit. I know you don't like those. I don't like them either. That's why I wore my black shirt today. It's like a day of mourning as I preach a difficult message. This is a hard one, though. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you're like, man, my back is hurting lately. I don't know what's going on or my knee is just giving me trouble. And the doctor's like, you need to lose 30 pounds. And you're like, excuse me, sir or madam, but I did not ask you about that. So, so what in a real way is going to happen here, James is going to really not just talk about the symptoms of our struggle with the trials, but he's going for the juggler here. He's going straight to the source of our struggle. He is going to the reality and exposing within us what needs to be exposed. And really what he's going to do is rip away the false security blanket that we've got ourselves wrapped up in. Anybody like having the covers pulled off you? Heck no, right? Some of you right now needed to come to marriage night because you've got that struggle and you didn't. We would have helped you out. We had a whole session on that. Uh, you just missed it. Uh, but it, it, like, it's a re you know, it, nobody likes that, yet what James is going to do is pull away the false security blanket so that we can be exposed, but it's a healthy thing for us because then we are going to find the only real source of hope and security. And oh, don't you need that today? Yeah. I know that I do. Let's get to the text and we'll let the Lord speak to us so we can be a people who are mature and full of his wisdom. We're going to read a large section just to kind of let you in behind the scenes here. We're going to read verses 9 through 18. My hope is today after kind of giving a 30,000 foot view of this passage, we'll then be to dive in for a few weeks in each of these sections and cover a little more detail about it. So if you say, he didn't really say a lot about riches and money, he didn't say a lot about temptation, I wish he would have talked more about uh, these things. Uh, I'm going to, so you're welcome. And if you thought, he did just enough, I apologize for the next three weeks of sermons. Let's start reading in the Word of God, verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we study this text. Oh, Father, we need your help as we look at this large chunk of scripture to see what it is you're doing here, Lord. To understand how it is you're, you're tying these passages together as we think about trials and growing in you. Lord, help us to see your truth and learn what it is to run to the right place of help. 
Lord, it's so easy for us to run so many different directions when tough times come to uh, just either lay down, run to distraction, run to all the different things. But Lord, I pray that you would create in us a reflex to run to you in the midst of trials and hardships so that you can indeed give us joy that leads to wisdom. Thank you for what you've done in this text. And I pray, Lord, over the next few weeks as we study this together, that you would just make it come alive to us in a real and tangible way. And do that work even now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, really, the goal of the Bible, and I would say in particular James's letter here, is to convince us as the people of God of our need and desperate need and calling in life to be a people who pursue Jesus with everything we have. That is the call of the Christian life. It's a life of pursuing Christ and walking with Him day in and day out. But the truth is, so many things distract us from doing this. So many things in life. In fact, the very trials that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks have a way of either pulling us to Christ or making us run away from Him. Do you remember we said that last week? That when we face a trial, we see it go either way in our own lives and in the lives of others. Lose a job, we press into Christ and trust Him to provide. Or we lose a job and we abandon the faith because God's forgotten us. Haven't you seen that? Uh, different circumstances, how this tends to play out. And what James wants to expose in us is the truth that if we're not careful, we run to temporary pleasures, the temporary pleasures of this world, instead of running to the eternal joy that we have in Christ. This is an easy thing for us to fall into. But if we're walking in wisdom, brothers and sisters, we will be a people who pursue Christ in the midst of trials and difficulties. So James is going to start this section by talking about the rich man versus the poor man. Now, let's stop here for a minute because I know what our tendency is. Some of us right now are going, yeah, rich people, <laughs> right? It's easy for us to do that. We categorize ourselves in different categories, but I want to just be real honest with every single one of you. You're rich. Now, pastor, how dare you? You don't know my situation. Here's what I do know, that the poorest of the poor in Wichita, Kansas today is richer than the majority of the world. Did you know that over half the world today lives on less than $3 a day? Man, a bunch of you burn more gas than that driving here this morning. It's wild to think of our culture and how blessed we are compared to the economy that James is living in and even in the present day around the world, we are rich compared to the rest of the world. But this passage is not really about who's rich and who's poor, so you don't have to you know, try to slot yourself in one of those columns. But instead what James is doing here is he's trying to get us to realize and see that at the end it's all foolishness anyways. Because all of the riches of this world will eventually pass away. So he says, hey, are you poor? Rejoice, because you're actually rich in Christ. Are you rich? Don't count on those earthly riches, because it will all fade away. But there's a warning here that I think applies to every single Christ follower today, and it comes here in the last line of verse 11. It says, so also will the rich man fade away when in the midst of his pursuits. Oh, you see, so it's not even really the, the, the money that's the problem. It's that pursuit. I want you to understand something today. The Bible is not anti-rich. In fact, I think if you read through the Bible, you're going to see what I would just call a gift of financial stewardship. 
that God blesses people so that they can be a blessing to others. So, so this sentence is not an indictment against the rich. Hey, be glad you're not rich because they're all going to die. Guess what? If you're poor, you're going to die too. Spoiler alert. But this is an indictment of those who are pursuing riches. And here's what I would just say to you, friends. In our American culture, this goes far beyond simply money. This pursuit of the American dream, stuff, success, acclaim, clout, a following. This is really what our culture is about. Status, respect. It's this pursuit of more. From, the, from a very, very early age, guys, we are taught to pursue these things. Achievement in our life is measured by all of these standards that you don't seem to find in the Bible, but you find running rampant in our culture. So if you have kids, you certainly need to put your kids in the best schools, put them on the best teams, get them the best music teachers so that they could reach their full potential. You're a man or woman trying to make a career. You need to do whatever it takes, even if that includes cutting a few ethical corners because, hey, everybody does that. And if you're going to make it in this industry, you kind of have to do that. It's just part of it. And we're all living by this weird standard of more at whatever cost. Some of you are feeling that right now. Some of you maybe are, have overextended yourself financially because you're trying to look like you're doing well to the world. And you're just, you know, you're seeing that credit card thing. It looks like the national debt ceiling, but it's your own personal national debt. Just running nonstop. Ching, 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 ching. <laughs> like scary. Some of you right now are maybe tapped out financially because you're trying to keep up with the cars and homes of everybody else in your life so it looks like you're doing well. Some of you are like, yeah, please, pastor, preach that to the person sitting next to me. <laughs> but you're trying to develop such a frugal lifestyle and document every moment of it on social media so people can see how good you are at doing that. See, you didn't expect that, did you? You're like, <gasps> We're pursuing all these things of the world and trying to find our identity and our hope in those things at all costs. To the point that we end up literally losing the identity that God has given us in the midst of these pursuits. In trying to pursue all of these things, we lose who we are in trying to be something that the Lord has never called us to be. Your identity is not in your success. Your identity is not in your work. Your identity is not in your financial status or, or your respect or how many followers you have on social media. Your identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And the invitation of this text is to realize all of these things that the world is begging us to live for are just going to pass away. You're like trying to hold on to sand that is slipping through your fingers. As the Old Testament prophet says, you're throwing money into a bag with holes in it. It's all going to be gone one day. Only what we do for the Lord is going to last. So James says the rich man pursuing in the midst of pursuit is fading away. Perhaps today you feel like the person who's faded away. 
I've been chasing these things so much that I don't even know who I am anymore. I want to just tell you what the text is trying to say to us. It's an important truth. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Security is not found in this world. Security is not found in this world. I'm not trying to scare you today, but rather when you realize that our security is not found in this world, can I tell you what it does? It puts these worldly things in perspective. Now, when I say worldly, you immediately tend to think of sinful things, right? Uh, but, but notice the list. I, I talked earlier about school, sports, and work. I, I didn't say that, and you know, in fact, uh, you know, we're saying walk away from these things. So am I inviting you to quit school? Now, some of you teachers and students, you're at the point of the year where you're like, yes, Lord, I received this word. I am done, <laughs> right? It's May. Y'all are like, let's do this thing. I, I get that. But, but these things are all necessary, right? You need to go to work to provide for your family. And we certainly even want to educate our children and even let them develop strength and character by letting them play sports and, and learn how to do music and gymnastics and all these things. So I'm not saying that these are bad in and of themselves. But here's the danger. When these things get elevated above Christ in our lives, and we start to find our security and our safety and our value and ultimately our identity in those things, we're in trouble. So let me just ask you today, friends, are you being shaped by Jesus or shaped by the world? Are you letting these things God has given you shape you or are you letting the one who gave those things to you shape you? See? We sang last week, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we're like, yeah, amen. I love it. But if you look at your life, it looks like what I've sung before to you. My hope is built on nothing less than a good, comfortable life and successful kids. Then enough of money in my retirement account. That got more of y'all. <laughs> oh! <laughs> We, we could tell we got some empty nesters in here. <laughs> They're past the kid phase. <laughs> Concerns us, doesn't it? And this happens before we know it. But here's what you need to know. If we're honest with one another, all of these things that we tend to run to for security make awful gods. If you're a slave to money, life is a whooping. Everything's more expensive. Your dollar is worth less every single day. Even if you're keeping that money in your retirement account, can I depress you for a minute? Even if your money is staying the same in that account, it isn't going to stretch as far. You got problems, retired brothers and sisters. Some of you are not enjoying this sermon at this moment. Well, I mean, I've planned wisely. I've got a good guy managing my money. I don't know about you, but I've done a little history research before. Things can get scary real quick. See, we don't like getting the covers pulled down, do we? <laughs> no, 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 let me wrap myself up in the warm blanket of my last retirement statement that came in the mail. It's all a sham. I can, I can tell you one thing 2020 taught me. We're like at any point in our culture, two or three weeks away from all riding around with donkeys with clay pots clanging on the side. Were you there? <laughs> Everything, it got crazy, y'all. This could happen. So go ahead and put your hope in that if you want. 
But at the end of the day, it's passing away. Doesn't mean that they're worthless. Doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't call us to good. Some of you are already preparing your email. Pastor, the Bible says, cast your bread upon the waters, and in many days it'll pass to you. I read that in Crown Financial or Dave Ramsey. I'm not saying you shouldn't plan for retirement. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a good steward of your money and a good steward of your health and a good steward of your kids and a good steward of athletics. I'm not saying, but here's what you need to know. In the midst of all of those things, you're chasing something that ultimately will pass away. James uses a perfect illustration to help us keep this in perspective. Flowers. Aren't flowers beautiful? Flowers are awesome, but here's the thing you need to know. When I take my wife a bouquet of flowers that I got left over after a funeral service, it's fine, it's fine. Hey, don't judge me. Don't, you do you, I'm going to do me, all right? <laughs> they weren't prepared for that either, Matt. <laughs> I remember Rebecca Ingram one time saying, don't you dare take our funeral flowers. And I was like, I'll do what I want, Rebecca. And please do not text her and tell her where these came from. It's going to be a clue that I'm wearing a suit, though, when I give them to her. Uh, so, anyways. Why is it in the shape of a wreath? That's weird. <laughs> Even have a nice stand with it. <laughs> that is not in my notes. Uh, and if it was, it would hit the cutting room floor between services. So, something you only get at 9 o'clock. But here's the thing. The instant... I give those flowers to Mallory, guess what? They're dying. They're dying. So, so when, th this, is, this is the worst case scenario. If I were to give those flowers to my wife and she were to say, oh my goodness, these are so incredibly beautiful. These flowers are my everything. These flowers make me me. They complete me. Here's the tragedy. They're dying. They're not going to last. Rather, my hope is that when I give her flowers that she knows the gift giver is the one who loves me and cares enough for me to give me these. And these are a symbol of the fact that he loves me and wants to provide for me and give me good gifts. So when I see these flowers, I think about my husband who gave me that gift. Here's what I want to say to you, friends. We have this weird, messed up tendency to worship the gifts instead of the gift giver. God blesses you with children. Praise God. The Bible says they are a blessing from the Lord. If you turn those little blessings into idols, you will create dysfunction in your family like nothing else. When you worship the blessings instead of the God who gave you those blessings, things get out of order in your life. God's blessed you financially. Praise God. Praise God. But when you worship that blessing instead of the God who gave you that blessing, you become a slave to money. On and on we could go with that illustration. This is why our worlds fall apart every time something goes wrong. This is why trials debilitate us so much, friends, because flowers die, stock markets crash, people die. You and I are temporary. Do not find your security in these earthly blessings. Instead, what the text is going to invite us to do today 
is to recognize that security is found in Christ. Security is found in Christ. Verse 12 says it this way. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Wisdom invites us to stop looking to the comfort of the world, stop looking for comfort in the midst of our trials. Instead, when this fallen world produces death, stop running to more death for comfort. But this is what we do. We encounter challenge, so let's run to something else that's dying. My hope died, let me run to something else that's dying too. Instead, we have to remember the life we have in Christ. And not only the joy He gives us for today, as the song Great Is Thy Faithfulness says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow notice that this text says this the coming day when we will receive the crown of life i'm excited to talk about that more in a couple of weeks but this is an invitation friends to live for eternity to realize that this earth is not all there is let's just be real are you finding your security today in the things of this earth or in the things of christ Remember last week when I asked you to think about what you would ask God for if he showed up and offered you a blank check, you can have whatever you want? Can I tell you whatever it is you thought of in your head might be the idol that you tend to run to? It's probably the same way. If, like, if you could have anything, because can I tell you what we all long for? And our biology is wired us this way. Security and safety. So when you think in your mind, what is it that makes you secure? What is it that makes you say, well, if I only had enough money? Here's the problem. I know enough people who God has blessed financially that when I ask them how much is enough, here's their answer, more. More. When God's given you children, you're so blessed, you're so thankful for those kids. Like, what do you need to see happen in your kid's life to be content? More. Success, health, better than they are right now. What do you need in your career to make you satisfied and feel like you're doing what God wants you to do? Uh, more. If your security is found in these things, friends, you're in a dangerous spot. But it's easy to do that. It's easy to be secure in numbers on a bank account or a retirement account. It's easy to be finding your security in the numbers on your smartwatch or your latest physical and your fitness, your health. But in the midst of hard years, can I tell you what I think the Lord has shown us? that our idea and the illusion we have of control is a farce. You may think you're killing it right now in life, financially, financially, I combined finances and physical there, so you're welcome, new word. You may feel like you're doing great and everything's good in your life, but can I tell you the, the hard reality that I try to remind you of often? Every single one of us are one phone call away from our lives being turned absolutely upside down. And that security and that safety that we've clung to can be gone in an instant. And this starts to unravel on us. But wisdom says stop running to the world to look for what can only be found in Christ. He is our security. He is our safety. When everything else comes unraveled and everything else in the whole world crashes and burns, He is still the solid rock.
He's still there. And security is found in Him. But let's be real today. Uh, I recognize this isn't new information. This sounds almost like every sermon I preach to you. But, but here's what I want us to consider. If we all know this, if we all know that Christ is the solid rock and all other ground is sinking sand, and we all know this, why do we keep building our houses on the sand? Why? I don't really understand it. Back when Hurricane Harvey happened, there's this one community near us that every single time it floods, the whole community floods. And then they all rebuild their houses, and about 10 years later, it does it again. And I just can't help but have the feeling, and I even asked somebody, why are you rebuilding there? <laughs> you know? Why? And of course, they have their reasons, and when you hear them, you're like, okay, so I won't ask that again. Lesson learned, right? But so many of you live your life building your house over and over again on the same shifting sand and wondering why the house keeps collapsing. Why do we do that? Verse 13 tells us why. It's this issue of temptation. Temptation. I think that this text is placed here because this struggle to find our security in this world is perhaps the greatest temptation that Christ followers have. And there's an important distinction I want to make, and we'll drill down more on this in a few weeks. But a trial is not the same as temptation, even though those are the same Greek word. Again, we'll unpack that in a few weeks. A trial is a circumstance that is brought about by the Lord for the purpose of making you more like Him. But this text is abundantly clear. Temptation comes when we run to the world instead of to Jesus. Our natural desires, according to verse 14, are always pushing us to run to our own pursuits and our own desires, and if left unchecked, that leads to sin, that leads to death. Oh, so friends, hear me today. This is truly a life and death situation. If your security is found in this world, you need to know today, you are not secure. Some of you maybe have had your house collapse on the sand and you decided to come back to church. That's going to fix it. I'm back. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to do more. I might even give. I might find some ways to serve. Can I tell you what you're doing? You're building your house on sinking sand. Oh, but listen, you came here today to try to build on the sand and all of a sudden I got the blower out today and we're blowing that sand away. And guess what? At the foundation of this church and every biblical church, we have the solid rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And today I want to tell you just to shift your house over to the rock. And if you're rebuilding your life today, the Lord knows you're here and has given you the beautiful opportunity to start by building your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Don't fall for the temptation to run to the world. It's so easy to have the trappings of religion, but, but really our heart's contentment and security is found in the world. Many of you today hearing this sermon, that's why this is a challenging word for us. In this moment, we're like, yeah, pastor, I'm here and I'm serving and everything's good. But if you're honest, your world falls apart when these things you find your safety in are taken away. Though it is God and his grace telling you to get off of those things and bring your life back to the foundation of Christ. God's plan for our life comes, and we see this in verse 16. I love this verse. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And listen to this. 
of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we're going to unpack that more in a few weeks, but hear what this is saying, friends. This is God's plan for you and me, his church. By his word, his truth took root in our hearts. And we are given new life. And that new life, you and I actually live in this world as the first fruits of a new creature. And that first fruit of our salvation is this joyful, steadfast, wisdom-filled life that James has been teaching us about here in this text. If you are in Christ, rather than running to the world, we now run to Jesus. And when we run to Jesus, he changes everything. So the world runs around from crisis to crisis, freaking out. And you and I are found running to Jesus, running to Jesus, running to Jesus. And he has never failed us yet. So we keep running to him. But the problem is we forget this truth. And we start worshiping the flowers instead of the flower maker. James is inviting us, though, to step back for a minute and recognize that God is sovereign over all things and that every good and perfect gift comes down from above. So, so here's what we found even over the last couple of weeks, friends. When everything is great in our lives, praise God. When we're going through trials... Even those are blessings that have come down from above from the fathers of lights. Isn't that incredible to think about? So here's what we're saying, and I want to read this to you directly from my notes because this is a really good summary of what we've studied in these first 18 verses. So God created you and me and saved us by his grace so that we could walk in his wisdom, steadfast and mature, with unbelievable joy. And in the midst of the journey, we are going to encounter tough days. But because we know God is making us more like him, we can rejoice. When the trials come, we will not be tempted to find our hope in this world. Instead, we find our hope in Christ. On the good days, we rejoice in his blessings. On the bad days, we will rejoice in his blessings because we know that every good and every perfect gift comes down from above. Do you believe this today? Oh, I hope you do. I want to end this message with a couple of really practical helps. We've talked about trials. We've talked about that through the word of God that we're to consider these joy, to ask God for his wisdom. But we want to find our security and safety in Christ, not in the things of this world. And these are all incredibly powerful, helpful, and I would say even practical things. But here's what I want to ask. What does it really look like to run to Jesus? Kind of a metaphorical thing. We sing that song, oh, I'm running to your heart. And you're like, okay, I want to run to his heart. How do I do that, right? What does that look like? Well, friends, it's the same answers we come to often. What we tend to do is run when trials and hardships come to distraction, don't we? I never spend more time on Facebook than when I'm having a hard day. Anybody else? Like you, you watch, some of y'all have been watching reels like nobody's business because you're going through hard times. And it's a lot easier to think about mindless drivel than it is to focus on what's happening in your life. Some of you have been binge-watching some cable news. That's going to help your anxiety. <laughs> Sometimes I like doing that, though, because I like seeing that other people are way more screwed up than me. Anybody else? 
It's like, Lord, help those people. Whew. Oh, but when it gets quiet and we have to deal with our own selves, when we stop running into distraction, the only thing left to do is to respond. So are you running to social media? Are you running to TV? Are you running to food and drink? Are you even just running to friends to vent? At the end of the day, these things don't help us. They just distract us. But the call is to run to Jesus. And here's how you run to Jesus. Run to his word. Run to his word. Pray. Last week it said pray. Ask for wisdom. God, give me the wisdom to know that I need to run to your word instead of social media. That I need to run to your word instead of to my friends to gab about it. That I need to run to your word instead of distractions. Help me, Lord, to have enough wisdom to be a man or woman who runs to your word. When I was a 26-year-old first-time senior pastor, only been at the church a few months when I got the phone call that a young man a few years younger than me in his early 20s had been killed in a devastating car accident. And he was the grandson of one of our sweet widows in the church, a woman that I knew well and had spent a lot of time with already. And I knew it was early, early in the morning, about 7 a.m., but I knew she'd be up. So I just did what I knew I could do, which was just go be there. So I got in my car and I run over to her house and Remember, she has this beautiful historic home with a, uh, near the courthouse there, and it's got a big, beautiful front yard with flowers everywhere, like an arched entryway. And I'm walking up, big front porch, and I walk up, flowers everywhere, and I stop at the front steps. And that was like almost the first moment I'd been running on adrenaline, and all of a sudden, like, the adrenaline stopped, and I was like, what am I going to tell this lady? And just overwhelm came into me in a very real way. And I remember standing there at the foot of the steps, and I just did one of these sighs. Do you ever sigh, like, from the deepest place within you? <laughs> like, it was like, what am I going to do? And in that moment, I heard sweet Miss Vera say, what are you doing, Pastor? <laughs> she was over on the front porch. And she was sitting there, and I said, hey, I just came to see you. What's going on? And she was sitting there. I'll never forget this with her Bible laid open in our lap and, and with tears streaming down her face she said I just had to open up the word of God to try to find some comfort so here I was a young inexperienced pastor trying to think what in the world do I say to her but little did I know that Vera's Lord and Savior was already speaking comfort into her heart that only he could speak Trials are real and trials are many in our lives, brothers and sisters. But Miss Vera, you and me all have a God who speaks and stands ready to meet us in the midst of the trial. But you and I have to have God's wisdom to know that he is the one we run to. So I want to encourage you today. Run to him. Don't be tempted to run to the flowers that are dying. Don't be tempted to run to the things of the world that will pass away. Instead, run to the rock. Though everything else in your life may seem to be falling away, He is secure and He is the one who can hold you and bring you what only He can give you. So let's pray and ask Him to help us do that right now. Lord, I'm thankful for what you called in verse 18, your word of truth. 
And I pray, God, that we would be a people who are found running to your word and running to you in the midst of difficulties and trials. Oh, Lord, we know that you are using even the difficult things we walk through to make us who it is you want us to be. But, Lord, in the midst of those, so many of us have those moments where we see that, but that moment comes well after we've run from you instead of running to you. So, Lord, I pray for two groups of people. Right now, Lord, I pray for those who maybe are in the trial. There are some people here who feel like they are barely keeping their head above water, or maybe they feel like they're drowning right now. Lord, I pray that in this moment, by your truth, you would just grab them. Lord, and that they would, in this moment, see that as they turn to run to you, that you have actually been right there with them this entire time. Oh, God, I pray that your power and presence would work in their life in a mighty way. Oh, but I also ask God for those of my brothers and sisters who maybe right now are dwelling in security, but it's a false security. They're secure in their personal finances. They're secure in their comfort in this world and the things of the world. Oh, God, we know these things are fading away, and it's only a matter of time until they experience the trials and hardships. But Lord, I pray that by your grace, some even today would just say, I'm going to abandon the security of the world to come back to the rock. I want to find my hope and my strength and my identity in you and you alone, Jesus. So would you just do your work as only you can do, Lord, as we worship you today?